Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 18th of July, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border, and our very own Katie Jo Murfin. Uh, David, uh, let's get started then with the, uh, well, the Tory leadership election. Could be next Prime Minister. Well, The Spectator here is reporting on uh, the polls of the Tory party members who will choose from the final two. Um, and while it's all change, uh, Penny Mordaunt's uh, popularity is going down like a stone. And uh, Kemi Badenoch, um, who I thought had no chance because I thought she was quite good, uh, is in fact topping the poll amongst uh, the Tory party members who will have the final, final say. Uh, Badenoch 31%, Trust 20 Mordaunt 18 Sunak only 17 Tugganhat 10 um, And uh, more from that uh, survey from Conservative Home, uh, the complete runoffs uh, from the next Tory leader survey uh, Badenoch comes out uh, a clear winner. You see the uh, percentages, head-to-head -head percentages here. If Kemi Badenoch's up against Penny Mordaunt, she wins 59 to 31%, 10% don't know. Uh, up against Rishi, she wins 60% to 34%, only 6% don't know. Uh, up against Liz Truss, she wins 61% to 31%. Uh, so if she makes the last two, it's all looking very positive uh, for Camp Badenoch. Um, and uh, and so we're now going to take a little closer look at one or two of the uh, contenders. Um, I I watched the leadership debates, so all of our viewers don't have to. They were rather dire, uh, and there was actually surprisingly little said. Um, but despite that, uh, we see that the third leadership debate has been cancelled. Uh, not due to lack of interest, but due to it being too feisty, it would appear. Uh, so we'll start a little review here with um, Rishi Sunak. Now, Rishi um, uh, Rishi has, uh, uh, his campaign is uh, restore trust, rebuild the economy, reunite the country, right? So, okay, we're, we're, doing, we're doing threes. Um, and he was talking uh, about, obviously, the economy being the former chancellor. Um, before we show you the clip, because it's quite outstanding, it's quite amazing. Just let's remember what the what Rishi actually did to the economy. We have here from Trading Economics the M1 money supply. So M1 is notes, coins, uh, demand deposits, overnight deposits, and uh, here we see he increased it in two years by 33 percent. This is where the inflation is coming from. So he is personally responsible for the vast majority of the price increases we see because he inflated the money supply by a third in just two years. Uh, let's see him pretend otherwise. Look, I'll leave Rishi to answer his, his own record because I'm finding it very difficult to understand who's disowning and who's defending the record of the last few years that they've been in government. It's pretty confusing to me anyway. I think what we need to do is we need to focus on what we're going to do in the future, though, not in the past. And at the moment, we're getting definite promises of jam tomorrow when a lot of people are looking for bread today. That re a response to that, Rishi Sunak? Well, all I'd say, because we're hearing a lot about promises, we've actually got to the point, we should just reflect on this as a Conservative Party, where even Keir Starmer is attacking leadership candidates for peddling the fantasy economics of unfunded promises. If, if we're not for sound money, what is the point in the Conservative Party? It's the most Conservative, <clears> that's <throat> Conservative values, and that's what I stand for. 
sound money. Have you ever seen a brasser neck than that? And I and I watched Nicola Sturgeon speaking, and I'm just astounded. Although he did he did um, stumble over the word conservative afterwards, so maybe that was a little bit of guilt um, making itself felt. Uh, we'll move on quickly to um, Penny Mordant, hashtag PM for PM. Um, this is uh, a very good piece of honour by uh, TCW, that's uh, conservative, uh, the Conservative Woman, um, and uh, uh, from Simon Caldwell. Uh, he writes, if Penny Mordant succeeds Johnson, the country will get a Prime Minister who is more authoritarian, more ideological, more woke, more anti-life, anti-freedom, anti-family and anti-marriage. Uh, from the moment the international trade minister uh, is, uh, for the moment, she's doing a good job of playing the patriotic and military card and promising to be a sure and safe hand on the tiller. She's getting away with it because most people don't know who she is and perhaps they like the cut of a jib. She looks and sounds like a conservative, but conservative she is not. And there's a tweet here um, uh, from Penny Mordant. Amazing visit this morning to be past 1968. That's the British Pregnancy Advisory Service, uh, the largest abortion mill, private abortion provider in the UK. Um, she so says they were discussing sexual health provision. She means abortion, she means termination. Um, the uh, TCW continue, although Miss Mordant was baptised Roman Catholic, um, uh, she seems not remotely attuned to core Christian values, which have, also, which have always informed British culture. On the contrary, she appears overtly hostile to them. Uh, within months, uh, she, was founding a, a, she was founding a chair of all-party parliamentary group on choice at the end of life, uh, a vehicle to fight for assisted suicide, euthanasia and supported uh, by uh, Dignity in Dying, formerly known as the Voluntary Euthanasia Society. Miss Mordant's intervention is significant because it reveals a totalitarian impulse and an approach to issues of conscience. Her willingness to legislate against the wishes of the people and to be their master rather than the servant. Her well-documented desire to restrict press freedom shows a similar uh, authoritarian theme. Uh, we've now got a little quote of how she's presenting herself. Uh, this is this is uh, even worse in some ways than Rishi. Well, you asked what would make me a better prime minister, and it would be a really good team. My whole campaign has been built around building a team. Uh, my now legendary campaign video did not feature me at all. It was all about my colleagues, and it was all about the country. And I think our leadership model that we've had in politics is completely broken. It doesn't deliver for people and we need a new approach. I recognise that and I would look to build a team of all the talents in our party. All the talents. Gentlemen, any comments before we move on? I wasn't aware there was any talent in the party. <laughs> well, I just, I was impressed that she was sounding exactly like Renum Denim from the IT crowd. Uh, one final slide on Ms Mordant. Uh, what exactly do you have to do? to uh, get the foreword of your book written by Bill Gates. I'm not absolutely sure, but perhaps we'll find out if she wins. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Liz Truss uh, answering a question from Rishi. Right. Uh, my question is for Liz, actually. And uh, Liz, in your, in your past, you've been both a Liberal Democrat and a Remainer. I was just wondering which one you regretted most. <laughs> I am somebody who was not born into the Conservative Party. I went to school in Paisley and Leeds. I went to a comprehensive school. My parents were left-wing activists and I've been 
on a political journey ever since. But my fundamental belief, and the reason I am a conservative, is I saw kids at my school being let down in Leeds. I saw them not get the opportunities, not get the proper educational standards that you might have got at your school, Rishi. I saw them wasted, having wasted potential. And I thought that waste was wrong. That was probably a finest moment from the debate. She seems to be more effective. Uh, she comes across quite awkwardly because it's more effective when she's actually angry. Uh, next, we've got a clip from Kemi. It was supposed to be a legally binding target. Kemi Badenoch. We, the, the truth is, Julie, we set a target for when none of us will be here to, take, uh, to be accountable for it. If there are things in the plan that will bankrupt this country, I will change them. If there are things in the plan that will make mm. life difficult for ordinary people, I will change them. I do believe in climate change, but we have to do it in a way that is sustainable and that will lead other countries. If we damage our economy, they will not follow us and then we will not solve the problem. So that's Kemi Badenow talking about um, the targets for uh, zero, net zero carbon. You see the uh, acceptance of the basic mantra, I do believe in climate change. Uh, and then she said, well, but we're not going to wreck the economy. This, this is, of course, a complete contradiction. Um, and um, this is uh, not going to uh, be readily resolved because she's trying to, she's trying to play um, two opposing views here. The, the, the net zero um, uh, agenda 2030 line um, and sound economics. You actually can't have both. I wonder if she'll ever find a way of deciding between them. Um, we've now got a little clip, uh, sorry, a little uh, slide here from Kemi. Um, we won't achieve equality if we undermine the values, traditions and institutions which embody the rest of Britain. So the best of Britain. Um, values and traditions she does seem to have in her heart. She doesn't realise, I think, what has actually happened to our institutions. More on that later. Now, to finish off here, I've got a short clip from uh, Lionel Nation. Uh, uh, um, Lionel is a commentator in the United States, and he's looking at the United States political system and seeing exactly the same sort of problem that we uh, are seeing here and finding it difficult to put it into words, but succeeding eventually in, in uh, bringing up a vital uh, a vital issue on the subject of who actually runs the country. This is different. This is different. This is a much different, a much, much different situation. This isn't dissent. We're not, we're not, dis what am I trying to say? We're, we're not um, dissenting. We have been taken over. We have given up any and all control to what's going on in this country. There, there, is, no, there is no parallel to this. There is no parallel. This is, this, this, is, this is different. Let me see if I can explain this to you. I don't know how to say it. There, there is no... This is not citizens against the establishment because of war or because of Watergate or no 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 we have been taken over we have been literally and actually taken over by a force that I'm not sure we can really understand and that's exactly what we need to be talking about in the UK as well and uh, we'll get to more on that in extra time
And Dave, <coughs> David, perhaps I could suggest that that's why Bill Gates is in the, uh, uh, I was going to say in bed, that, 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 probably that's not quite right. But uh, that's why Bill Gates is so close to Penny Morden. This is a very good point, Brian. Um, who are these people? How does the system work? We've talked a lot about this. We know that the tax-exempt foundations uh, are a big part of the picture. Um, okay, so uh, yesterday morning on the BBC, Tony Radigan, who is the uh, chief of the defence staff, the top military man in the country, uh, was uh, on the BBC for the normal Sunday morning interview. Uh, and, uh, well, he was initially asked about this story, the uh, BBC's Panorama's uh, expose of SAS death squads, as they're described. Uh, and, of course, the Ministry of Defence still denying that uh, these deaths took place in Afghanistan at the hands of uh, SAS personnel. Um, so uh, Radican was asked about that, uh, and this is uh, what he had to say. So we have conducted two independent service police investigations, and both of those have come to the conclusion that that did not happen and that there is not sufficient evidence to merit a criminal prosecution. And we're really clear that even though these are extraordinary people that do extraordinary things on behalf of the nation, the rule of law applies to everybody. So his initial gambit is that the rule of law applies to everybody. Well, the question is, does it? Well, let's bring this back on screen. This is the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Criminal Conduct Bill 2019 to 21. Uh, which is now an act of parliament that has gone through parliament. And what is this about? Uh, it was a bill to make provision for and in connection with the authorization of criminal conduct in the course of or otherwise in connection with the conduct of covert human intelligence sources. Um, and uh, well, he says that no one is above the law. This puts some people above the law. Let's remind ourselves who it puts above the law. Uh, it puts the uh, the police force, any police force in the UK, the National Crime Agency, the Serious Fraud Office, any of the intelligence services, any of Her Majesty's forces, uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, the Department of Health and Social Care, uh, the Home Office, uh, the Ministry of Justice, uh, the Competition and Markets Authority, the Environment Agency, the fin Financial Condu Conduct Authority, uh, the Food Standards Agency, the Gambling Commission, all above the law because they can authorize criminality. And when this was being criticized quite heavily as it was going through parliament uh, and to no uh, re reliable or reputable denials from government uh, includes criminality up to and including murder. So uh, I appreciate that uh, what's happened in Afghanistan, the allegations there um, are not about covert intelligence gathering, but nonetheless, if you say that there's a standard being placed for that activity, then you're effectively giving carte blanche for this type of thing right across the board. I'll just add to that, Mike. Actually, a special forces operation will almost invariably be covert intelligence gathering. Whatever else they're doing, they're there to gather intelligence. So. OK, well, thank you for that. So so uh, anyway, let's come back to Radigan and uh, his next uh, little comment on this topic. I, I come back to we've had two thorough independent service police investigations. We're wary of trial by television. These are exceptional people that serve their country. They absolutely fall under the rule of law. We apply due process and they deserve due process themselves. So the notion that we start to go down a trial by television, that allegations are made by the BBC 
and that we even start to name individuals, that, that is unacceptable and deeply uncomfortable for those of us serving. What do you make of that? Uh, well, I come back to one of the first BBC articles, Mike, and I have to say it was a very good and well-written article, and the BBC had clearly done their research because they were quoting from documents that had been released around an earlier court case. They were also quoting military police who said, no, the investigations uh, were closed down at various points and no proper investigation took part. So he's squirming, of course, because he's on camera, but I don't think he knows what's going on or he's uh, got to work to keep the lid on it. Um, so then he was asked about Ukraine and he began by making this comment uh, about Putin and the uh, bombing of civilian targets. These, these are not military targets. These are acts of terrorism. These are random events where President Putin is endorsing the taking out of civilians and creating civilian casualties. There will be war crime investigations. Before we started this uh, programme, Brian, you asked me, does he, does he believe what he's saying? And, yeah. and I, I want to know that as well. Does he really believe what he's saying? Because the evidence is clear that, uh, and it's not denied as far as I know by the Ukrainians, that they are using civilian infrastructure uh, to operate out of, and therefore it no longer is a civilian, uh, it's, uh, it's just no longer a civilian structure at that point. That's correct, Mike. And we're going to have a look at, at that uh, particular aspect in a bit more detail very shortly. Does he believe what he says? I believe he does. And that's simply because he lives in a world where he is only given the proper propaganda, the rhetoric. So if he attends an intelligence briefing, he will simply get the skewed information pushed into his head. And I have to say, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't believe that this man is a huge intellect. We've seen him get very excited about colors on a chart. I don't think this man has got much of a brain. He's going to believe whatever the intelligence agencies tell him. Uh, so let's uh, bring on perhaps the most outrageous comment from the, uh, from the entire interview. Russia has already lost this war in terms of its original objectives. Its objectives were to take the whole of Ukraine, to embrace that and put it under Russia. That, that didn't happen and it's never going to happen. So Russia's lost the war in that context. I haven't seen any evidence yet other than uh, maybes and possibilities uh, from defence intelligence that perhaps that was maybe uh, Putin's original objective. Well, of course, nobody knows, but I think the way that the uh, special operations been conducted over the 100 days shows that that was not the objective of the Russians and it's madness to even think it was mm. in view of the number of troops that the Russians put forward. But let's have a look at what the BBC has been up to, because you may not know the BBC has actually halted the war in Ukraine. Let's pop this one up on screen. And uh, what are we talking about? Well, if you click on the tiny tab, which on the BBC website takes you to the war in Ukraine, uh, you will come to this Ukraine war in maps tracking the Russian invasion. And uh, you can also in that particular article, if you scroll down a bit, you'll come to this particular map, uh, which is the Institute for the Study of War pushing, uh, sorry, Russia pushing forward. So already we've got a problem here because the BBC is constantly saying the Russians are, are really moribund. They can't move forward. They're stuck in the mud. They, they can't advance at all. If we just pop that one back on screen. What we need to pay attention to 
is the dates, uh, because what we're talking about is the 3rd and 4th of July. So we haven't had any update for 15 days. Well, why has the, uh, the BBC halted? And the answer is because the Russians have been advancing. But uh, let's come to British intelligence. Uh, so here's Ministry of Defence. And what have we got here? The map below is the latest defence intelligence update on the situation in Ukraine, uh, 14th of July 2022. So we're running behind, well behind what's happening on the front. And that is because the Russians are advancing. They are hammering defences until eventually those defences have been broken and then the Russians advance, then they repeat the procedure. But of course, the BBC, the Ministry of Defence, doesn't want to tell people in UK what's really happening. Now, let's have a little look at this, um, excuse me, this analysis by the new Atlas. Uh, this is Brian Boletic. He's done some really excellent reports on what's happening in Ukraine. Let's just have a listen to what he says about the subject of Russian advances. Line. So we, we saw them fighting uh, to take the cities and uh, well, they were urban and industrial centers, Severodonetsk and Lizichansk. We saw that fighting. Uh, and then at a certain point, they just made all of this territorial gain. Now they're stopped because now they're working on the Saversk and Bakhmut defense line. Once they overcome this defense line, they will move again. They will take all of this territory. And it'll be interesting to see how the Pentagon spins that because right now it seems like they're trying to claim that Russia can't move another inch because of the HIMARS. And just to drive the point home that uh, that's what the Pentagon is doing, they're just uh, making things up essentially. Uh, I want you to look at this very pro-Ukrainian uh, liveuamap.com and I've referenced this many times in the past and uh, and I have shown you how and why it is very pro-Ukrainian and you can see here this was just a couple of days ago not even a week ago uh, this is northwest of Lizichansk which is right here and they're claiming that this territory in this uh, little pocket that is still held by Ukraine and then by today they show that Russia has advanced, just, just like the Pentagon said is, is not happening. This pro-Ukrainian map says it is happening because they are. They're making these advances and, and they're right outside of Saversk and Bakhmut. If we look at this map, Defense Politics Asia, and again, all of the links will be in the video description below. So you can check out both of these maps and see for yourself. Uh, compare them, figure out which one you think is more accurate. This one from Defense Politics Asia, they show Russian forces right outside Silversk, right up to the doorstep of Bakhmut. And that's what's going on. That's what this pause is. It's not a pause. They are pounding these defensive lines. And once they break through, there will be another advance. It's not a pause. It's so that's the key bit. He's saying this is not a pause that they've lost their way. This is part of a set military procedure, which is to hammer the defences and then move forward. But of course, the BBC doesn't want to talk about this. The UK Ministry of Defence doesn't want to talk about it because this is showing the Russians advancing. Meanwhile, let's have a look at Ben Wallace talking about arms to Ukraine.
questions. More questions. Yeah, um, President Putin said uh, he would target uh, weapon deliveries. Is NATO still able to deliver to deliver weapons? We're continuing to deliver weapons uh, into Ukraine from many different directions, and it is getting to the front line. The airstrike we saw uh, at the Polish border. How and to what extent does this complicate the delivery of weapons to Ukraine? Not at all for us. So there we are, billions of British uh, pounds paying for those weapon systems. Ben Wallace uh, casually says, no problem, we're delivering, they're going to the front line. Well, that's all very well, Mr. Wallace. What happens to that equipment when it's on the front line? And the reality is it's being destroyed. So I'm just going to bring you back to uh, Brian Belletic, who's uh, did a little analysis on this. He has done some extremely good work, as have other um non-professional commentators, but the harsh reality is these weapon systems are being destroyed. Uh, let's have a look at this clip. Uh, just like with the M777s, it was sold as a game-changing weapon system. It did nothing of the sort, and eventually Russia found and destroyed uh, the first battery of M777s. There was denial across the Western media and Ukrainian sources, and now everyone on both sides is is very much used to m777s being found and destroyed and very recently russia has actually captured at least one m777 uh, there's also footage of a warehouse that was destroyed not only were the m777s there but these trucks that tow them and you may or may not know this but this is the same type of truck that the HIMAR system is based on well, that's the reality. David, I don't know whether you'd like to comment on that, but uh, the Russians are actively hunting for these systems and it shows that they're being increasingly effective in destroying them. But the key thing is that the weapons coming in from the West are not in sufficient numbers to make a difference to the battle. But uh, weapons, money for weapons, no problem. Money for any other project in UK, we don't seem to have it. Perhaps I'm being cynical. Money for weapons, no problem. Um, we've got many weapons going in. Uh, the the narrative from the West appears to be that in September, or maybe October, or maybe November, we've built up the Ukrainians enough that they'll be able to push the Russians back. I can't see any evidence for that. I think they're a long, long, long way of, from having that sort of military capability. Um, the There is still an absence in both the West and under Western pressure, the Ukrainian government of, of of any discussion about a negotiated ceasefire. This is viewed this is viewed as being appeasement. This is viewed as being actively evil, and we must continue the war, and we must escalate the war, and 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 and, and Putin's literally Hitler. This is still the the, the line that's being pushed. And um, meanwhile, uh, Ukrainians are dying. The country is getting wrecked. And uh, which at what point? Will 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 there be some sort of sensible approach to the fact that this should this should be stopped? Um, the Ukrainians have been in the field for 150 days against the Russian army. They still they still hold most of the Ukrainian territory. Um, that that should be enough for them to continue and and, and build a country and 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 rebuild um, and rebuild the economy and have. Um, have a history that they could view as the birth of their nation, that they could view as, as a starting point, but to, but to push and push and push 
to free every last inch of what is what was originally defined as Ukraine. It just seems madness. Madness. Meanwhile, people die. We'll just finish off the segment with a little look at how Ukraine is being reported. This is the Express uh, carrying a big uh, sort of banner headline, uh, Ukraine conflict. So we, we know where the Express is coming from. But uh, this bit of reporting is just utterly incredible. Let's bring it on screen. Putin's devastating losses laid bare as Russian casualties hit 100,000 in 100 days. What's the reality? Well, the reality is uh, the complete opposite because it's now coming to the surface and Ukrainian senior officials are talking about it, that Ukrainian casualties have hit 100K in 100 days. Uh, with some days they're losing 500 men a day killed, not 100. And this is the bit we should pay attention to. I've just chosen this excellent article from The New Yorker. But let's just modify the headline a bit because Zelensky is in the bunker. Uh, why, why can we say this? Uh, well, uh, let's just have a look here. Hitler got to the point where he started to break down in the bunker. But Zelensky is now starting to turn on his own people in a treason purge. And uh, what am I talking about? Well, the BBC has had to uh, cover this story. Zelensky fires security chief and top prosecutor. Uh, but he's now set out that more, more than 60 former employees are working against Ukraine in Russian-occupied areas and a total of 651 treason and collaboration cases have been opened. I bet they'll be cuddling those people in order to get a confession. Or do you think perhaps might they'll be beating them with rubber truncheons? Yes. I think I know which way. And this is uh, the uh, situation that you were referring to just now. This was the attack. Uh, where the headline was saying this was Russia hitting civilian targets. But what did they hit? They actually hit um, a, a Russian military club, which is in the vicinity of the aircraft that you saw in the picture. And that club was destroyed at the exact time a meeting with international arms dealer was taking place. Um, and thanks also to Brian Boletic again for pointing me to this. Washington Post, Russia has killed civilians in Ukraine. But it's admitting that Kiev's defence tactics have added to the danger because it's pointing out that the Ukrainians are putting uh, military equipment in amongst civilian areas. Uh, David, it'll have to be very, very quick comment. The um, Foreign Ministry of Ukraine is uh, on the 18th of July was claiming 38,450 Russian uh, uh, killed in the war. So if, if that is correct, and the figure that Brian called is correct, then about two and a half to three Ukrainian dead for every one Russian. Uh, well, I don't, uh, to be honest, David, I don't believe any of the statistics coming out of Ukraine, whether it's to do with uh, Russian dead or Ukraine, Ukrainian dead. The reality seems to be that Ukrainian figures are very much higher. Okay, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. Uh, your membership would be very, very welcome and very much appreciated. Uh, if you'd like to pick something up as an alternative on the UK Column shop, then uh, please do that too. Uh, and uh, do share anything you find on the various platforms. Okay, very quickly here. Big thank you to um, uh, some UK Column viewers from Bristol. Uh, they sent me a, an email here pointing out that in the BBC's accounts, 
Apparently, the corporation has lost nearly 2 million subscribers, a 15% increase on the year before. The BBC has apparently blamed the lack of enforcement officers, but our viewers are saying they think it's much more likely that people don't want to watch the BBC. Um, so here's the Telegraph reporting on what it says is stagnation and decline of the BBC uh, without a license fee alternative. Encourage people to go and have a look at the BBC accounts. Very glossy, of course. Um, uh, there's a lot of information in there, so you do need to scroll through the index uh, to see what's what. This made me laugh, renewing our commitment to impartiality. So uh, a whole column trying to justify or trying to state that the BBC is impartial, that, that's just impossible to claim. Uh, and then 100 years and beyond, here we've got the chairman, uh, and he's saying this year the BBC celebrates its centenary uh, with it 100 years at the heart of the UK's national life. When the BBC was founded in 1922, it was at the dawn of an extraordinary new era of communication. Many feared that broadcasting would be so pervasive and persuasive that it could damage society, propaganda from home and abroad, might disrupt democracy. Well, he's identified it for us. He's done a good job. Uh, the many that feared were absolutely correct. Absolutely. Yes. So thank you very much to our viewers for that. Now we'll move on to uh, some lighter hearted things with Katie Jo. Thank you. Yes, really exciting. The Freedom Music Festival is only two weeks away and I have finally finished the programme. Um, it's been wonderful. I've had so many people contact me wanting to be involved with the festival. Um, but I am now going to have to say that I cannot possibly squeeze any more artists into the programme. We are jam-packed, which is extremely exciting. Um, it, we have lovely refreshments and food for you at the, uh, at the weekend. We have um, del delicious, refreshing cocktails from Funky Monkey, um, ice-cold beer and lager by our local Battle Brewery. And Zoo Cafe from Lewis will be serving gorgeous food and drinks all wrapped up in an enchanting world of Zootopia. Um, that looks just incredible, doesn't it? Um, we have amazing support from Right Said Fred on Saturday. They will be introducing different acts throughout the day. And Jam for Freedom will have their own tent with workshops and performances set up hopefully from Friday, but if not, from Saturday morning. There are two stages at the festival. A stage for our awesome DJs and a stage for our amazing live acts. The programme for both of these stages can be found on our events website um, on the uh, page there. But the uh, DJ Saturday night is Slick Matt, who is amazing. And we have on the live act stage, Baby D. Um, Saturday's headliner on the DJ stage is Danny Rampling. And I would like to say an extra special thank you to him as he has been a huge help um, with the organisation of the DJ programme. So many thanks, Danny. Um, the live act stage on Saturday is jam-packed and I love the way we have a huge eclectic mix of styles at this festival. From MC Lucas Lyon to Paul Terry and the Freedom Ensemble, which are in fact a string quartet. Many, many voices of freedom on the Saturday. The jazz band known for their best-selling hit, We Are The 99%. Victorious, who have rewritten many songs to fit the current situation we find ourselves in today. And the end of the evening, we have the one and only William Wallace protest songs. If you, if you don't know these guys, check them out. Their songs include Your Government Loves You and Mega Bank. <laughs> 
Sunday, the vibes are high on the DJ stage with Yogi Man and the, uh, with his conscious sounds and DJ AOT, um, AOT um, has beautiful reggae vibes for us and Bad Mother Funker does funk, soul and jazz like no other. Over the other side of the field, we have the superb Rocks Bishop Band kicking things off and Jam for Freedom closing the whole festival. Um, if you've had any trouble buying tickets, we are very sorry. We did have a problem with our ticket office at one point there, um, but it should be fine now. But if you need any help, please do email us and we can assist you with that. There aren't many tickets left, so go and grab them now and hopefully we'll see you there. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and David, uh, let's uh, move on to COVID then. Uh, and perhaps that's what uh, is the topic at on the minds of most of the people that will be going to this uh, this festival, but uh, what's the latest on COVID lunacy? Well, we start with Bob Moran, the wonderful cartoonist, and uh, I thought this this summed up exactly the position. We have COVID lunacy, um, born March 2020, deceased February 2022, but the zombie is back. It's coming for you. So that that's uh, exactly who we are. Now, um, Looking at the narrative, the COVID narrative, the narrative that uh, COVID was a big threat, we're all safe by government lockdowns, by restrictions, by masking, by vaccines. This narrative is collapsing. Uh, the narrative that the vaccines are safe and effective is collapsing. Uh, we've got a couple of examples of this. Here we have um, 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 uh, Peter McCulloch, MD, uh, quoted here, 7,750 people have had intracranial, intracranial hemorrhage or stroke in just three small Scandinavian countries. Um, three countries, 7,700 disastrous neurologic events within 28 days. So this is the sort of problems that we're seeing. Um, to take this down to a more human level, 7,700 is a lot of people to think about. Here we have the Defender, um, the uh, organisation uh, run by... Um, uh, uh, RFK Jr. Uh, he, this is an interview, and I recommend people have a look at this interview, with a guitarist who lost eight fingers after the Johnson Johnson vaccines. Um, and he's saying people have to be held accountable. Um, he was a professional musician, vocal instructor, and backup guitarist. He got the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. A week later, um, he was uh, found unconscious in his apartment. He was taken to a local hospital where he remained in a coma for three weeks. Pervasive blood clots and known side effect of the vaccine shut down his kidneys and other organs. The condition caused doctors to amputate eight of his fingers without his knowledge or consent as he was still in a coma at, a, at the time. This illustrates just the nature of the horrendous human stories that's coming out of the vaccine rollout and the harm that it caused. Um, now, we concentrate a great deal on the figures, and so does uh, so do, so do many other commentators. Here we've got the excellent Steve Kirsch um, of MIT, ex of MIT. Uh, he's been watching this uh, situation unfold and uh, commentating on the statistics. And he's looked at the UK government statistics. He said they should either admit their data is garbage or that the vaccine should be immediately halted for age 10 to 14. Ideally, they admit both. Practically speaking, they will do neither. Uh, and he goes into this in, in more detail. Um, and uh, he, was, he was saying that uh, the, the choices are either that the numbers are garbage um, 
or that there's a horrible problem with the vaccination of 10 to 14s. Um, on the 10 to 14 year olds, if, they are, if the UK government figures are accurate, um, then uh, the vaccines are the most dangerous intervention in human history for this age group. It makes COVID look like a rounding error. COVID gives you a 5% increase in all-cause mortality. The vaccine, a 4,400% increase. 45 times higher death rate for those who adopted the third shot. And he's saying, if you claim that this is just because it was people who were uh, at a higher risk of death who took the third shot, please show me the evidence. And while you're at it, show me the evidence that only kids with a 15 times higher rate of death um, decided to stick with just two doses. Um, on a more um, prosaic note, and looking at our own government and our own politicians, uh, I raised the issue of the statistics that are coming out of the government with a politician in Scotland. Uh, so here we see the, the tweet. Um, it refers to Office of National Statistics uh, data that shows the, the, the all-cause mortality rate is higher amongst the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. I tweeted out to John Mason, MSP, asking if he would raise this in Parliament. His reply, his reply was <laughs> lots of laughs. Nothing to ask here. Of course, most older people have had their jags, but older people do die for a whole host of reasons. So it does not suggest a connection between jags and deaths. Before we move on, uh, gentlemen, any comments on that? Well, uh, of course, I had the advantage that you spoke to me over the weekend about this. I find it utterly obscene. That's the first comment for this gentleman, John Mason, to come back on the subject with lots of laughs. Um, he's, to my mind, he's very dangerous politically. He's probably dangerous in other ways because he obviously doesn't care about public safety. Um, but what mindset is he in to think that when you talk about the government's own statistics, this is something to snigger and laugh about? Perhaps we could get him on the column to talk to him. That would be interesting. I, I went back to him on Twitter um, and referring to the yellow card um, data, um, I, I challenged him on the idea there was no connection between the Jags and the death. Uh, I said, John, of course, it suggests a link. That's why... 500, sorry, 458,000 reports were made detailing one and a half million adverse reactions. Every, every one of these represents a link made with the COVID-19 vaccination. That's what the yellow card system is for. And this, of course, refers to the yellow card system, which is most clearly um, illustrated by the UK column website that has the data in a readily accessible format there. And you can see the total fatalities currently standing at 2,207. Uh, we finish with a very worrying report from John O'Looney, who Brian's previously interviewed for the UK column. He is an undertaker, and he's describing, in this case, what he's seeing in terms of the deaths of very young children, uh, stillborn or, or, or very early age infants. Um, and the apparent um, keeping quiet of, of, the whole, um, of the whole story. I'm hearing mm. that that uh, that there's this this bulk ordering of caskets for babies. <clears throat> it's very happening. interesting. 
So I've been hearing through the grapevine within the industry that there are lots and lots of babies dying in unprecedented numbers. I saw the testimony of a funeral director a couple of months ago called Wesley. I've spoken to Wesley. He is a funeral director. I can supply you with that testimony. And he mentions um, going into these hospitals and the pediatrics being so full, they're putting these babies on trays in the adult section because there's not enough room for them. Now, I couldn't understand as a funeral director why my phone wasn't ringing for any of these parents. I haven't had any calls from any parents who've lost a baby. And then we went to the crematorium um, last week. Um, there's an information board in the waiting room and it lists the name of the deceased, the time of the service and who is the funeral director. And they all scroll past and it's just general information publicly available. And we saw baby names on there and the baby names had Milton Keynes University Hospital the local hospital as the funeral director now I've never known that happened before excuse me I've never known that happened before certainly I've never seen their name on the board in the years I've been going there until recently um, and today we went down there there was another one on there anyway we got speaking to a member of staff at the crematorium who will remain nameless um, because that's up to them to speak sure. and he te he told us that they're bringing in babies from the hospital directly six and eight at a time you know in numbers that i certainly never knew were happening you know and of course if they're going from the hospital direct to the crematorium it's being kept quiet isn't it an extremely concerning report and we'll need to look much more into that uh, we started with Bob Moran's cartoon. We should finish with a Bob Moran cartoon. Uh, here we see Bill Gates uh, illustrating the current heat wave. Um, he's, he's saying all the shots are safe. And of course, the heat wave is his pants are on fire. Yes, indeed. Okay, thank you for that, David. Now let's come back to uh, Kitty Joe. And uh, well, the, the movement against this uh, policy continues to grow. It does indeed. And I'm, I'm aware that my last two segments of the last couple of weeks have been a little bit helpless. And I've kind of finished the segments with what can we do? And I wanted to um, bring action to the show today. Um, so, yeah, we I did share in extra time last week how you can stand up for the drag queen um, story hour. And that's an extra time if you wanted to see that. Um, but it's it's easy at the moment i think with the sunshine and the beautiful weather to, to be lulled into a false sense of security um and we can't afford to take our foot off the pedal is what i'm trying to say basically um we're lucky in this country at the moment we do have our freedom we have got food but as you can see around the world it's starting to collapse and people are desperate so um what's happening in this country with these 10 bills that are going through currently under the radar um, is, is, is frightening. We've got to stand up to it. And as Louise May Crayfield says, they are designed to steal away our rights. Um, there's no real coverage about these bills, um, as all of the distraction is about the pantomime of the leadership contest. Um, but Save Our Rights, as always, are leading the way with fight um, against these bills. So if you if you want to, you can follow Save Our Rights to find out more how to support this and her other amazing campaign, Heat and Eat. Um, and Greenpeace is one to look at. There is proof we can make a difference when we stand up to tyranny. 
um, when they tried to take away our right to protest, thousands of people and the House of Lords stood up and, they, and we won. But now Priti Patel is trying to override our will by introducing a new bill that will force through things like serious disruption prevention orders, ASBOs basically for potential protesters. Uh, so Greenpeace have a protest, uh, um, a petition, which is currently at 169,000 signatures. We need to get it to 200,000. So please, please sign it and tell Priti Patel to drop the public order now. Um, there is a Facebook page uh, that is dedicated to stopping the new schools bill. Their latest post, as they have put it, shows democracy, democracy in action. Um, it's fantastic. Over 450 constituencies took part in sending in their signatures. This is a record-breaking number, so well done if you did take action. As they say, go and get right into your MP again tomorrow. Um, I would like to finish with the global walkout protest. And this is a unified global event and convoy to your capital city. They say unelected bureaucracies like the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum should not have the power to dedicate policies in our countries. Let's send them a clear message they can't ignore. It is time for governments around the world to consider replacing and leaving these globalist organizations. I believe this protest is something we should all be attending. So please go to the website today, www.reignitefreedom.com, for all the information and to sign up. They will announce the date once they have had enough pledges worldwide. So please share it as well. Um, and I have their video from their homepage to share with you now. Over the last two years, millions of us have been protesting and advocating for the restoration of our God-given rights. In every continent and country, we've all been pushing back any way we can. The world has never united under a common cause like this in human history. But they have ignored us, dismissed us, and used force and coercion. Unelected bureaucracies like the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum are trying to centralize and digitize everything. It's time for them to go away. The future is built by us. It's time for a global event to send a clear message. We are not exchanging our freedoms for a false sense of security. Do you remember what the world used to be like when we had Freedom to be equal before the law. Freedom to make your own medical choices. Freedom to work without mandated medical procedures. Freedom of speech. Freedom from censorship. The freedom to protest. Freedom of movement. Freedom of expression. Freedom of political communication. Freedom of worship. Freedom to travel. What a different world it is now. Now you're individuals who are literally going against your oath to fight against peaceful people. I love how people talk about personal freedom. It's time for the governments around the world to hear our voices and leave us alone. We are not their puppets. We are not their test dummies. We elected them to execute our will not to enforce tyranny under the guise of public health. 
So, what can we do that they cannot ignore? What can we do to bring governments to the negotiating table? A global walkout and convoy to our capital cities around the world on the same day. They cannot ignore that. We are calling this the global walkout. A walkout from work, from school, and from participating in the tyrannical society they're trying to slow boil us into. To the governments around the world, we have this message for you. Every day, we are living more in knowledge and less in fear. Every day, the number of people willing to say no to you grows. Every day, we become more united, more courageous, and more unstoppable. Stop fighting against us and start working with us. We are the 99%. We have experts ready and willing to replace the ones that have led you astray with inaccurate models and fear-based pseudoscience. They will continue to use fear and coercion to manipulate us into complying to things we don't want. So why not draw your line in the sand now? This was the moment when surveillance started going under the skin. Because really we haven't seen anything yet. For all the information about this global event, go to www.reignitefreedom.com and we will announce the walkout dates once we have enough pledges worldwide. So sign up now so we can walk out soon. We will all be together soon in our capital cities to celebrate our freedom, strength and unity. Because after all, in the truest sense, Freedom cannot be bestowed, it must be achieved. Together, we can and will reignite world freedom. So there you go. It's a pretty powerful video and I just think it's, it's a fantastic idea and I think we should all get behind it. Yeah, um, what can you say? People <laughs> actually speaking out and being together is a very powerful thing as we've seen with the protest. Indeed, the protest that, that uh, the UK column team went up to in London. And when people are there, they're polite, they're measured, they're having a good time and they're essentially saying no in big numbers, it can have a huge effect. So interesting to see how many people will engage with this, but yep, they should. Uh, well, we began the uh, program with Rishi Sunak and uh, what he's doing, what he has done to the economy and inflation and so on. So let's see what he is talking about uh, himself because he wrote an article in the Daily Telegraph on Saturday. Here it is, we got Brexit done. Now we must capitalize on the freedoms it gave us, he says. Uh, and. Uh, well, he's uh, saying that, uh, uh, well, I'll say that, well, this is clearly part of his leadership campaign. That's not the only reason he's written this. Um, so he starts by talking about uh, a radical financial services bill. Um, he's put his name to it. Uh, but uh, although he's no longer Chancellor of the Exchequer, it's going to be published tomorrow. Uh, and the name Sahawi, who's the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, 
uh, is uh, endorsing Rishi Sunak's plan for a more growth-focused approach. Uh, so let's have a look and see what growth-focused means. So here's the first thing. The government would scrap the EU financial services regulations we've inherited, including the EU's Solvency II rules, to trigger a Big Bang 2.0. Uh, this will help investors and insurers put money into assets such as infrastructure that stimulate growth and will reap long-term rewards for our country. Of course, what type of assets are they talking about? Uh, well, they're talking about financial assets um, and, uh, well, green New Deal type financial assets. He also uh, went on to say this. Second, the government would also remove the burden of GDPR, creating in its place, the most dynamic data protection regime in the world. And what he means by that is the most dynamic data protection in the sense that it doesn't protect your data at all. It protects your data on behalf of the big corporations that get to share your data and partake in the new data regime. Uh, and finally, in this article, he said that he would ensure that we speed up the clinical trials approval process, which is still complicated and slowed down by EU red tape. And what he means by that, of course, remove the need for clinical trials altogether, because of course, otherwise you can't get things out in 100 days. Um, so uh, when they're talking about uh, this notion of growth focused, what they mean is they want to keep inflating the bubbles. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the best bubbles to inflate is the housing market bubble. So here's uh, Fulford's latest blog on the question of the housing market. And in this, they say, what's happening with buyer demand? Is it still strong? And they say that according to Rightmove, right buyer demand for each available Property is down by 8% in May compared to April, but remains 6% higher than last year and more than double the pre-pandemic five-year average. Uh, well, we know all about five-year averages, but anyway, let's move on. The housing market frenzy and increased demand from buyers earlier this year was partly caused by a lack of available properties. Uh, many newly listed homes were snapped up within a week or two. Well, maybe a lack of availability was part and parcel of it, but not entirely all of it. But we'll get on to, to why uh, in a second. Just to give a picture of what the housing market is like, uh, the ONS published their latest statistics uh, last week on uh, on this. And uh, what they said was house, average house prices are now nine times average earnings. Now, of course, the problem here is that uh, the banks are required to put some kind of affordability uh, scale on whether you can afford your mortgage or not. And it's usually uh, in the three to three and a half times uh, your annual income. So if the house prices uh, nine uh, or an average nine times average earnings, then it becomes more difficult to get a mortgage and to fund a house. Uh, but it's even worse in London uh, because in London, the situation is uh, 13 times average earnings. Um, so in order to solve this problem, I'm going to get David to comment on this in a second, but in order to solve this problem, the Bank of England has decided to take the absolutely uh, spectacularly sensible step of removing the affordability test on mortgages. Uh, because that was just getting in the way of extending credit. So the Financial Policy Committee announced this about a month ago, but it's coming into effect uh, at the end of this month. Uh, and uh, so that's what they're saying. They're going to get rid of it completely. Um, but in the meantime, uh, with all this extra money sloshing around, as David was pointing out at the beginning of the program, well, New Zealand uh, here is saying that inflation has hit a three-decade high. So their inflation is going through the roof, just as with everybody else. Um, but, uh, well, the, the problem for Rishi, of course, as David pointed out uh, at the beginning of the program, is that he is uh, continually being accused of fueling the inflation uh, during the pandemic. And it, so it hit the Times as well this morning. Uh, Rishi Sunak has been accused of driving up inflation by printing huge sums of money during the pandemic. Uh, Serene Duncan-Smith has made the point that uh, 
He uh, pumped an extra 450 billion pounds into the economy in 2020 and 2021. Uh, so, David, you made the point at the start of the programme. I'm pretty certain you hadn't seen that Times article, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it looks like uh, Big Bang 2.0, which is uh, the second iteration of the so-called deregulation of the City of London, is, is all about making sure the bubbles stay pumped. And of course, once they finally pop, they're going to go pop in a sort of nuclear style. Yes, it's the everything bubble or the almost everything bubble. And, and um, the idea that uh, we're removing, we're removing the, the, the checks on the soundness of the people we're lend, the banks are lending to, but we've still got essentially a guarantee to the banks that we will bail them out on the back of the taxpayer should anything go wrong. We did this before. We did this in, well, up to 2007. And how did that go, Mike? Uh, well, it didn't go very well. And what's uh, really ironic about this is the banks are saying, David, you don't need to worry anymore because they've got uh, massive cap relatively massive capital reserves in place. Uh, which can cope with anything that's going on, so they won't need to be bailed out. But uh, if we remember back to 2007 and 2008, it wasn't a capital reserves issue that caused the problem. It was a liquidity problem that caused the problem. So uh, that that argument uh, just doesn't hold water. Yeah, it was a broke banking system ultimately that caused the problem. And we'll go there again if we, if we just run the same scenario. Um, and of course, the idea that... Uh, that, 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 that there isn't a, a price to be paid for inflation beyond simply price increases. People don't realise, yes, the, he, Rishi inflated the money supply and he put up the general price level and everything got more expensive, but it's not uniform. You see, not everybody got the extra money at the same time. The people who got it first, governments, banks, financial institutions, that sort of thing, right? they did well because they were able to buy real assets when the money was uh, in their hands but hadn't yet caused a, an increase in the price level. People who get it later, you know, ordinary working people, the poor people in fixed incomes who probably don't get it at all, um, they, they lose. So it's a, it's a net transfer of real wealth from the poor to the rich. That's what inflation does. And it also changes the, the, whole, the whole economy. It changes what is made because the people who are now having these extra resources will make different decisions. So the whole economy is transformed. It's enormously disruptive. And um, Rishi doesn't seem to be aware of any of this. Uh, that will be because Rishi is, Rishi is just a, a puppet, David. Uh, the real problem is with the criminal activities of the banks. OK, let's end then, David, with this uh, final slide. Yeah, in honour of all the things we learned from the COVID um, crisis and all of the following the science, and we followed it very well and we learned the lesson, we wish to remind everyone, if you're out there in the sun, make sure you wear your sunglasses in order to protect other people from the sun. Yes. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, excellent. Well, I think we're going to need brollies tomorrow, never mind sunglasses. We will see. Um, we'll... I think we're at the end of the news, so we're going to thank all of our viewers and listeners for joining us. Thank you, David and Katie Joe, And a big, big thank you to everybody that's supporting the UK column, donations or memberships. Um, we can only do what we're doing with your help. And if we're to expand in the future, and that's clearly our objective, 
uh, we're grateful for any more support from people who like what we're doing. We'll be back in a few minutes for extra. Indeed. We will see you then. Thank you. Bye bye. bye.